welcome to another edition of Boilers Extra on the road. On the road back from Louisville, I'm Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier. He's Mike Carmen, also from the Journal and Courier. I don't know why I introduce us like that every time. We're both from the same newspaper. Uh, you guys know that. Um, but we're talking about the aftermath of Purdue's 80-75 loss to Virginia in the South Regional Championship last night, one of the great college basketball games I've ever seen in person, certainly, and really kind of one of the great games I've ever seen, period. Just uh, I, I don't get, We don't get to fully appreciate it with everything we have to do in the moment. I'm actually looking forward to sitting down and rewatching this game because it was pretty spectacular from any number of angles. And, uh, and if, if you're a Purdue fan, which you probably are if you're listening to this, uh, you, I understand why there may not be a full appreciation of that uh, because of the outcome. But it was really just a, a, a spectacular night of basketball and um, one that I think people someday will probably have a greater appreciation of, of being there and, and, and witnessing it and taking part in it, you know, because the Purdue crowd last night was a, a visceral part of that experience and what happened in that game. Well, you can even back it up to the uh, the three days or the two yeah. the two games in Louisville. You can go with the Tennessee game and then the Virginia game and piece that together and say, I'm not sure that I've been a part or helped cover or witness uh, two games like that. Um, and, I, and I can't believe that anything like that has ever happened in Purdue basketball history where you've had two overtime games like that um, with so much on the line and so much back and forth and so many great individual performances and so many twists and turns and so many punches and counter punches and more punches and counter punches uh, that, you know, I, I, it, it's going to be very hard to top that, I think. And I, you know, and as someone who's been in this business three decades, you know, it, it was, it felt more like a privilege to be there to, to help, you know, cover that than, than anything else, because it will be something that, uh, you know, I'll remember for a long time. And I think a lot of people will remember for a long time. I mean, you know, for Purdue fans, there's going to be a sting to it because it was a cruel way to end uh, the season when you when you thought you were headed to to the Final Four with about six seconds to go in the game. Uh, so that, I mean, that that's going to be hard to get over. But as you step back and appreciate what what you saw and the environment, and the atmosphere, and the high level of the plays that were being made on both sides, even Thursday and then Saturday. Yes, uh, the, I think the word appreciation is is appropriate for what what we all saw. For people who grumble about their team, I guess we should just go ahead and say for Purdue fans who grumble about their team having not been to the Final Four in now it's going to be 40 years. This weekend should help you understand just how just how astonishingly hard it is sometimes to get to a Final Four. Any one of those four teams that were in that region this weekend could have been in the Final Four. You know, Oregon, it doesn't get the same, you know, it wasn't the same kind of game as the Purdue-Tennessee game and then the Purdue-Virginia game. But that was a four-point game in the other semifinal on Thursday night. And it was so late, and it, it was kind of, you know, a lower scoring game, so it doesn't get the same appreciation. But that's another game where, you know, Oregon's right there. Oregon had a chance to win that game. It would have been a big upset, a 12 beating a 1. But Oregon had been playing so well 
um, kind of like Purdue in a way where like they just got hot at the right time. Um, we're, we're really coming along at the end of the season after after struggling for a good section of the season um, with injuries and, and various things. And and then obviously Tennessee could easily have been the team that was playing Virginia last night. Um, it's it is people you know we we and, and media does this too. You look at things sometimes from the long lens and you see that it's been 40 years since a team's been to a Final Four and you assume that that's one big somehow failure that just drapes over four decades when it, it has it, it this weekend more than ever reinforced to me and something I'll hopefully carry with me as I just in, in both professionally and then just as a sports fan remember that it, it really is just all about that game that's right in front of that team at that moment. And and how how just it's almost indescribably hard it is sometimes to to win those kinds of games at, at this kind of level against teams that are this good back to back to back to back and and then it gives me a further appreciation of of programs and coaches who've been able to do it repeatedly um, with, with with a complete changeover of roster and and having to you know do it in. In, under different circumstances, against high-level opponents all over, and um, I think both of those things are true. I think it, it, it's it, it's it, there was a great achievement by Purdue this weekend, regardless of whether or not they were able to prevent that last-second shot with 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 no time on the clock, and regardless of whether or not they were able to get that pass off in overtime. Um, it, it, it still just gives me a a, a real perspective on how tough this mountain is to climb um, in order to, in, in every sport, but especially in, in, this, in these college basketball tournaments, um, to, to, to do this four day, you know, four games in a row uh, over two weekends against the best teams in the country, it's, it's really hard. And when Purdue finally gets there, <coughs> excuse me, and I think as you wrote last night, it, it's, it really is inevitable. It, it's going to happen at some point. And when it finally does happen, I think a day like Saturday probably only – Heightens the, um, the 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 elation of that moment because you know how hard a a fan base and a program had to struggle to get to that point. Yeah, in, in all sports, there's a progression that has to take place. Uh, the example that I'm going to give you is Texas Tech. They they beat yeah. you last year in the Sweet 16, got to the Elite Eight, and got beat by Villanova. What happened to Texas Tech this year? They got back to the Sweet 16. They won. They got back to the lead eight. They beat Gonzaga, and they're in the Final Four. I'm not saying Purdue's going to do the same thing next year, but sports, a lot of sports is like progression. You've got to get to point A before you can and get beat before you can take the next step. And, I, you know, I think that happens a lot. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen a lot. You know, it didn't, you know, for, for, for uh, you know, programs like VCU and George Mason – who, Loyola. Who, who, yeah, who, who just came out of the blue and went to the Final Four. Yeah, it doesn't happen for them. But, you know, programs like Butler were getting beat in the NCAA tournament in the Sweet 16 and uh, places like that, but they eventually had a breakthrough. And I, you know, I think for all programs, I think there is a, there's a step where you have to get knocked down before you, before you take that next step. And that, that forces you to take a step back where you're at in your program, what you need, you start looking like last night. What else? What else uh, does Purdue need to beat a number one seed like Virginia? 
what you know what else um what what can they get in a recruit in a recruit that can help them put put them over the edge or what 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 things does you know Matt Painter and his coaching staff have to teach maybe to get past that next that that, that next step so the, the 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 pain and the sting of getting knocked out and being that close it does hurt but I do think that this program and a lot of it is based on what's going on on campus that I think there's just a a strong wave of momentum that will push this program, this basketball program, and other programs that could do into a into a higher place. Because you know everyone can see you've got you've got the pieces in place, you have the coaches in place, you have Matt Painter's coach uh, recruiting philosophy in place. That you know it, it is going to happen, and you know maybe when it does happen, you're in a better position. You're a two seed or you're a one seed instead of being a three seed, and. So all those things, all those things, just kind of matter uh, when you, in the big picture because you know you you want to you want to have a favorable path to get there, but you want uh, you know you, you got to challenge yourself and prepare yourself. So um, yeah, it's just I think that last night was a step, not not a backward step, but it's a step where you got stopped. But I do think that another step forward is coming uh, with this program. Yeah, and when you say, you know, what what you have to do to beat a one seed, what do you have to do to win that game, it, it's really not about going and finding the guy that gets the, the box out that doesn't allow that freak rebound or getting the guy. I mean, they had the guys who've done that repeatedly on the court. I think the, the, the trick is you, you raise your level, you, you raise yourself even another level, so now the game isn't hanging in the balance like that necessarily because you had the guys on the floor to make those kind of plays because they've done it all season long you know um you know Grady Eifert gets an offensive rebound that leads to Ryan Klein going to the line for the free throws that could have really iced the game Ryan Klein hit 90 some percent of his free throws last year um is a a guy that can hit (laughs) is a guy one of the, the handful of guys that you want most at the line in that situation um you know Carson Edwards and, uh, you know, moving the ball and, and passing on the run, that's not like that's been some kind of problem of his all year. Just just some – the, the margin for error was really, really small in those situations, and and it, it, it becomes a 50-50 proposition at best sometimes in those situations. And now I think the next step is just to, to somehow put yourself in a position where you, you're not – you don't have your, your back against the wall there, uh, especially in that overtime situation. And um, that, that's to take nothing away from everything that happened – prior in that game because they Purdue that's that's what stings the most right now. It, it's not just you know, I think if Purdue had gotten into this game last night and then Virginia had won it more comfortably, there would still be a lot of heartache from this uh fan base for what this team accomplished and, and to just come up one game short, you know, especially considering the crowd sport and everything that was there last night. But I mean they had that game won. That game was you know, I'm I'm thinking ahead already to how, what, what's my lead that I have to crank out in two seconds of describing, you know, 40 years of this fan base and this program kind of getting a monkey off its back and, and getting to this triumphant moment? Because um, it sure seemed like it was done. Um, and, you know, credit credit Virginia. I mean, that's just, as I kind of wrote last night, you know, and for every time there's one of these amazing finishes and these people, you know, the, these players very rightly, get sort of immortalized, at least in terms of, of 
sports fandom. Um, they deserve those those accolades. That's that's why we do this. That's why people are invested emotionally in this. But somebody on the other end of this is just getting devastated and really having to kind of live with um, just those, those slight, what they perceive as mistakes or failures in the moment, and they have to kind of carry it with them. And I think in, in time that will subside a little bit to in comparison to everything Purdue accomplished this year. But it, it's it's not uh, – it's not fair, but it's not unfair because Virginia deserved to win the game. Um, you know, Virginia can deserve to win without Purdue having deserved to lose, I guess is the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah. I thought, you know, I really thought that the play of the game was going to be Grady, Grady Eifert's offensive rebound that led to the client going yep. to the line. I really thought that was going to kind of be the play, uh, you know, especially on a night when they struggled to, to, to get defensive rebounds and prevent uh, Virginia from getting second chance points or just extending their possessions. I mean, I thought here, here's a, here's a, here's a kid and here's a guy in Grady Eifert who, you know, didn't see a lot of playing time. Uh, you know, they, you know, Painter needed some different abilities out there against uh, that team, but came in down the stretch, came up with a huge rebound and you're right. I mean, you have, of all the, you know, there's probably two guys you want at the line in that situation. One of them's Carson, the other one's Ryan Klein, and he just he dismissed. I mean, that's just that 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 happens, and we see it in every game and uh, in every opportunity. But you know, but then you know the question now becomes uh, a little bit is is you know Painter fouled up three and put their guy at the line, and uh, that's always a debate in in, in three point games uh, down the stretch and any not just the NCAA tournament, but a regular Big Ten game, whether you foul or not. And Painter seemed adamant after the game that that's what he wanted to do. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's his philosophy for every game or for every situation, but he seemed he seemed pretty set and convinced that's what he wanted to do. And he was he was getting his, uh, you know, talking to you know talking to him last night after the game. He was he, he was going through all the scenarios in his mind as far as. Uh, you know, get the press offense set, you know, get fouled, come back, hit some free throws, you know, how long, you know, how long you're going to have to play that out. So, uh, you know, kind of what, kind of what are your thoughts of what, how that, how he handled that situation? And is that, is that something that you've seen uh, during your time on the beat where he will foul or he won't foul? Yeah. I'm trying to remember times where it came up and because I know he's been asked that question before and I can't remember the specific games. I should have gone back and looked for that. But the philosophy has has it. It's that the foul has to come at the right time because if you, the whole point is to not let them get the shot they want, right. and you also can't foul them. You can't foul them once the ball gets in the paint because now right. you're you're setting up an and one situation, which completely defeats the purpose. You're better off almost just letting them score, and then you get to inbound it. Um, I thought, and I you know I I asked multiple players. So you guys got what you wanted there, right? And they all said absolutely. Um, you know, they wanted. You know, they they you you they burned a lot of time off the clock. The foul came with 5.9 seconds left. Correct. Um, I did not. I can't remember now Jerome's free throw shooting and how that relates to anybody else. Uh, so I don't know if they necessarily fouled the guy they wanted, but he ended up only hitting one of two. So that it all worked out. Here's what's crazy about the end of this game. It's what is especially cruel about the end of this game. Everything worked out the way Purdue wanted it to work out, almost. Like, 99 things out of 100 worked out. You know, they they 
you know, 5.9 seconds left. They put a guy at the free throw line. Even if he hits both, now you're still up one, inbounding the ball, and they have to foul you. Right. And so now you're, you're cutting time. You're putting – you're probably getting the ball inbounded to Edwards, who's your best free throw shooter. And I know he's had some, you know, some weird games uh, free throw shooting-wise, especially against Tennessee. But by and large, the guy's close to automatic. Um, even if they were to foul someone like Eastern or Harms, those guys have you know, a narrative of this season with how they proved themselves at the line and became guys that Purdue could count on to have on the floor at the end of a game. So now that's that's really the – you're thinking that's the worst-case scenario, really. Once you've fouled him, you're thinking that's probably worst-case scenario, assuming they don't get some kind of a tip in. Now, that's that's where maybe the strategy does – you do question the strategy a little bit there because Virginia had 17 offensive rebounds and had been so good at getting second-chance points all night. So that was a real danger. But then the way it actually played out was even more in Purdue's favor. You know, a guy smacks a ball out. It goes all the way across midcourt. And now they're standing 60 feet away from the basket, the clock running out on a season. And the guy who's open and clapping for the ball, the guy who has the ball, doesn't even see him. I don't think, or, or if he did, he just ignored it and fires a bullet pass down to a guy who has to almost kind of in one motion just kind of make a quick touch, flip shot that he probably wouldn't make five times out of ten with nobody guarding him. And now he's got right. Matt, Matt Harms in his face, and the ball goes in. Um, it's and, and it had to go in in that fraction of a second because an eyelash later, that might get waved off. Just a Just a – a heart-wrenching turn of events for Purdue. It, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. You can really question the strategy that much because Purdue got almost everything it wanted there. I don't think you're better off. You know, you could you could say that they're better off. I guess just defending straight up and making Virginia hit a three. But there's worst-case scenarios there too that are really bad. Because what if you foul them while they're shooting that three? And now they're either going to the line like Carson Edwards did against Tennessee or they make the three, and now they've got one to, to beat you, maybe, with no time on the clock. Um, it's, there's, there's, for, every, for every argument, there's a counter-argument, and I really can't fault Painter for making that decision. Um, I think I've actually seen maybe more people who have some qualms with the way the last play, the last Purdue possession in overtime went, as far as how that was set up and whether Edwards made the right decision, whether he should have just kept it, because um, it looked like maybe he had the guy beat. But, man, the other thing we always have to remember, and, and, and again, media's guilty of this too, but this stuff is happening at – it's a duration of, of just the blink of an eye out there. And you, you try your best to prepare for those situations, and these guys are, um, are well-trained, and they've they talked about all these things, they've talked through these scenarios, they've practiced these scenarios, but – you know, the other team has too, and, and and sometimes your best laid plans just don't work out, and you, you have to, to make the best of it. Yeah, I mean, you're always the, the foul-up three or not. You're going to have staunch supporters that want you to do it, and you're going to have staunch supporters that don't want you to do it. I, I fall I fall in the middle. I go where what, – what's the what's the situation in the game? What's, uh, what's going on in the game that would force you to foul or prevent you from fouling? Or maybe, you know, I think in both cases, uh, Saturday night, as you mentioned, the offensive rebounds may tell you not to foul, but the way that Virginia was shooting the three, especially Kyle Guy in the second half, would tell you to foul. 
because they're they're going to line up a three and they're going to get probably a decent look. Yeah. And the way Kyle Guy was shooting and the way that he had he kind of burst out of his his slump that he had been in, you know, the chances were pretty good that he was going to hit it. And you didn't want to foul and create a four point play. Uh, and, and so I, I think you. I think you evaluate the situation as best as you can and, and make a determination that way. Um, coaches that do it regardless, I don't know if they're completely right, and coaches who don't do it regardless of the situations, I don't know if they're completely right. I just think you need to – you got to get in the game and figure it out, I, I think. And, you know, I think I, I think that's kind of what Painter did. He just kind of – this is the best option we need to go at. And as, as you said, it, it was playing out perfectly until – the the ball went through the basket and you know where I was sitting and as the ball was tipped out it was coming down toward where where I yeah. was sitting and I thought this guy has to heave a half court shot right that's that's going to be their only option and you know if that goes in then you know you have the the miracle finish but then I the ball went to uh, went to the the guy standing and he had to hit a mid range jumper I mean he had to he had to hit a tough shot. Uh, and yeah. so yeah, that was its own to... miracle finish, really. I mean, that's that's it's just shy of a miracle, honestly. The way that still played out. Yeah, it is very much so, and all those things had to line up for Virginia to do it, and unfortunately for Purdue, all those things did line up. And but still, you 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 know you have some opportunities in overtime to to, to take control. Um, you know, I think Carson said after the game last night that he wish he wishes he would have kept the the ball in overtime uh but they uh the painter said after the game it was an option for either Carson or Ryan Klein and um you know and Carson Carson said he wished he would have kept it obviously cuz you know the ball trickled out of bounds uh and it was you know wasn't a great pass but you know that's a, that's a little hindsight but i you know that's a play that they've run all year they've worked on all year uh, it just didn't get executed the way that they they wanted to get, and that you know they were up against it a little bit too. They were going to need a bit of a miracle uh, finish to to tie that game and send it to uh, another another overtime as well. One thing I want to mention about my last time, I'm also getting some questions on social media about why Purdue did not do what it had done so successfully in the second half, which is play both of the big men in that scenario, uh, put Trevon Williams in the game along with Matt Harms from just a rebounding perspective. I, I, I want to say, I understand why people ask that. I want to point out two things. Number one, Grady Eifert's also a good rebounder. I know he isn't the same size as Trevon Williams, but he's a good rebounder. And more importantly, uh, when, you're planning, when you're playing this scenario out, if you're Matt Painter, you're thinking, you're assuming, I think, Jerome's going to make that second free throw. And he did not try to miss that second free throw. He was trying to make that second free throw. So he's trying to... He's trying to make that second free throw, at which point now you're inbounding, and I can't remember the timeout situation, so that would affect this. But at that point, you're inbounding. You do not want Trevion Williams going to the free throw line. Correct. Trevion Williams is, if not the worst free throw shooter on this team, actually I'm pretty sure he is. I think he's probably the worst free throw shooter on this team. At this stage of his career, it's just not a strength of his. It's something he's going to have to work on just as the big man who came to Purdue before him. And, by the way, Isaac Haas started as a bad free-throw shooter and became a really good one. Matt Harms started as a bad free-throw shooter and is becoming a better one. Um, at times, was a really good one this year. So that's just something he'll have to put the time in on. But if 
if that's a factor there, if you think the ball's going to end up in Trevin Williams' hands at any way in those final seconds, and you need someone to go down absolutely to hit free throws to save your season, it can't be Trevin Williams. It just can't. And I think I don't really have a problem with the guys he had on the floor there. You know, Grady Eifert, we asked him about that sequence after the game, and he was really feeling it because he feels like he missed the box out and made all that possible. Um, but, again, it wasn't like it was just a putback straight up that where somebody got beat. It was just a – I mean, the way he got beat was that a thing that should have been good for Purdue still happened. Um, the ball getting knocked to the other end of the court um, – I just, man, I think they're going to watch that and think there was just some some fate or something involved here. It was a little bit, a little bit out of their control, um, and just just one of those things where the the same way that you know things were really going their way for when Ryan Klein just turned into Rick Mount there or whatever against Tennessee, or when Carson Edwards gets fouled on that three pointer um, on a very close play there in the corner, you know. Things had gone Purdue's way pretty consistently in that tournament in, in some pretty crucial spots, and it, it just didn't in that moment. I, I, I don't know how much more – I don't know how much overanalyzing you can do because, like I said, I really think 99 or 95 out of the 100 things that Purdue needed to happen happened, and in, 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 in Virginia um, got fortunate, I think, a little bit the way that played out. Um, I don't think it would have mattered uh, who was on the floor for Purdue because, and again, I, I, I've watched the highlight on my computer. I did it last night. And I think the guy that tipped it is the guy that hit the game-winning shot. And yes. it, it wasn't a rebound per se. Right. It was, if, if, you had, if you had boxed him out, he, this guy, and I can't pronounce his name. He yeah, have, yeah, he would have uh, – he, he just tipped it out. It wasn't like he went up and grabbed a rebound. It was he tipped it out, and right. he was he did he did the right thing for his team just to tip it out and give his team a chance. But it wouldn't have mattered if Trayvon Williams was boxing him out, or if Matt Harms was boxing him out, or you know anybody else was boxing him out. No one was really going to stop. I don't think stop that tip in that situation. I it just it just seemed impossible because of his length. I mean he's. He he had the longest arms on the floor last night, and he used every bit of it to tip that ball back out. And then you know we all know what happened after that. So we've gone pretty far into this podcast without talking about Carson Edwards at all, and and the one of the great postseason performances, one of the great Elite Eight performances, not just in Purdue history, and there have been some 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 good ones there, but one of the great elite eight performances in college basketball history, really. Um, what he did last night with considering the stakes, considering the juncture of the game where he really took over, considering what it would have meant for Purdue if they had won that game. Um, just a spectacular performance. And really his whole tournament run. And we spent a lot of time on this podcast this year talking about Carson Edwards. And not all of it has been praising Carson Edwards. A lot of it has been just wondering aloud whether he was going to put it all together this season or or whether it was going to be, a, a, a you know, the thing Purdue was going to have to overcome a little bit in order to have the kind of success it did. And at times this season it did, and I think I would stand by that. At times I don't think his approach was, um, was commensurate with his abilities and commensurate with what Purdue needed from him. 
I think Matt Painter has said as much. I think uh, if you read between the lines in some of the post-game comments you, you saw this season, I think his teammates said as much, um, especially in in-game scenarios, some of the decisions he made, the shots he took. I think those were valid uh, criticisms, and they're not criticisms of his talent. They were just criticisms of those choices in that moment. And what he did in this tournament, though, for all the, the kind of consternation that I think Purdue fans had about him or a certain segment of this fan base had about him for really all three years he's been here, and we'll see if there's going to be a fourth year or not. I think um, there's a very good chance there, there won't be. But he answered a lot of that, and I think he probably put a lot of that far behind him with, with what he was able to do because, um, you know, the, the 42 points against Villanova – the, the circumstances there, you know, you've got a game that's out of control or firmly in produce control, I guess would be a better way to say it. And he could just kind of take over. And at that point where he got a lot of those points late in the, that game, the game was not on the line. What he did Saturday night, if the Purdue had won that game, was a, you know, whatever Ryan Klein had done to beat Tennessee, this would have been another step beyond that. A, a a legend-making performance where he would have kind of been in that Rushmore conversation to 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 just be firing in shot after shot after shot, and this is what you know. Matt Painter along the way had kind of said, you know, yeah, he didn't shoot the ball well tonight. They weren't falling for him, but at, at some point they will. That's just he he felt like Carson Edwards was due to go on a run like this. I don't know how – I don't really agree with that. I don't really believe in just, you know, fate or whatever. I don't really think shot-making works quite that way. At the same time, you can't argue with the results. Um, he really rose to the occasion this whole tournament, and, and Saturday night was what they're going to remember him for at Purdue. Even if he comes back next year, it's going to be one of the first things anybody ever talks about when they talk about um, this this player, this guy who showed up and – um, just it, 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 his confidence and the bravado and his attitude, I think those are all things that are going to leave a bit of a, a stamp on this program for a, a long time. I know we're already kind of talking about him as if he's definitely gone, and, and we'll see how that plays out. But uh, he certainly didn't hurt his NBA draft stock with how these last, you know, eight days went. Yeah, I, mean, I, could, I can only think of, you know, I'm sure there there might have been others, and Painter would find more. But I I can only recall really one bad decision last night from Carson Edwards, and it, I think it came in the first half. He just kind of got the ball and shot it too quick. Yeah. Uh, and I turned to the guy next to me. I go, Yeah, that's one of those bad decisions. But otherwise, I really can't think of of any. I mean, the uh, you know toward the you know he he basically put the team on his back and said, Okay. We're, we're, you know, they're either going to do it now <laughs> with him leading the way, or it's not going to happen because they were down eight. They were, they were kind of in that zone where if that lead got any bigger, that Purdue was really going to have a tough time uh, getting back the way that Virginia plays defense and the way that uh, Purdue was not really getting some easy shots in the bat, you know, close to the basket. They had become a, a solely perimeter team because of just the way Virginia plays defense. But, yeah, it's a remarkable performance. And I, I don't, to be honest, I don't know how he tops it if he comes back next year. I just don't know. Other, 
only if he repeats it at that stage in the tournament and right. gets the team to the final four. And uh, but yeah, it's 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 been a just a remarkable run, and even he was overshadowed just a little bit in the Tennessee game, uh, based on you know how quiet twenty nine. Yeah, really quiet. <laughs> just, just because with the Ryan Klein's twenty seven were so freaking loud. Right, and when they came. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, we you saw a remarkable performance. Um, it became, you know, and not to be critical, it became probably just a little bit of a one man show, a little bit too much of a one man show. But, um, but that's what was needed. You know, I, I you know I think Painter, I think. He, he came down and fired one up and hit, and Painter just kind of went, "Well, okay, that's what <laughs> that's, that's what we needed," and just kind of you just kind of move on. And um, and when you when he gets in that in you know that zone, then you just kind of leave him alone and let him do his thing. And you know I think his teammates understand that as well. You know, just be in a position to rebound or be in a position to get back on defense. But you know he went through a stretch there where he just kept hitting and hitting and hitting and. You just have to keep feeding him the ball, and he's he's definitely left his mark on this program. He left his mark in this NCAA tournament. He will go down. He'll be recognized as one of the great all-time NCAA tournament players because of the production that he put up in these in these four games. And he, you know, and that will lift his status up uh, at Purdue as well. Uh, it really, I mean, I, I think it's cemented. I don't think there's anything that can change it, but it would have gone to another level if Purdue was in the final four based on, on what he did, uh, not only Saturday night, but, you know, the Villanova game and the Tennessee game and just the season that he's had that, and just with the, the pressure on him. And, you know, I think, you know, last night Virginia called a timeout specifically to double team him and try to get hit, get the ball out of his hands. And it was kind of an odd timeout, I thought, but they came out and they tried and I think it almost worked. But that, that's it, it, yeah, it was right at the tail end of that run he was made, where he hit three threes in about a hundred seconds. Yeah, and each one was a little bit farther out than the last one. And I almost thought at the moment, my my first thought was, I mean, what, because there's not, what are you going to do to guard that better? I mean, the guy's just just firing from thirty feet. Like, there's not a lot you can do to guard that better. You want him taking that shot almost. Um, even if it's Carson Edwards, because it's still a low percentage shot, you're going to take that over them getting the ball inside or getting flying off a screen or whatever. But I almost thought he called it just to be like, well, maybe this will cool him off. Like maybe we'll just <laughs> this. You know what I mean? And I think there might that might have been part of it too to just be like, whoa, like this is, this, this this there's insanity happening right now. Let's try to. It's kind of like icing the kicker. Like maybe if we just call this timeout, you know, some you know he, he blinks. And, and returns back to, you know, a, a mortal being here for the rest of this game. And uh, it worked maybe, you know, for a, a little bit, but he was still, uh, I mean, no, he was still hitting those shots late in the game. Um, the, the one he banked in, he got a little bit of help on. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing he wasn't getting for a long stretch of the season. I will say that, you know. There was, there was a stretch of the season where it seemed like, you know, some games, any three he took wasn't going to fall or, or, or very few of them, and then to, to get a bank on a night like this, it almost was like um, the ones that he missed earlier on were, were due to him last night or, or something. But, I, I mean, I give Matt Painter some credit here because, you know, I, I heard a lot, you know, people were asking me during the season, 
you know, about how Matt Painter was handling Carson Edwards and, and whether he was, you know, giving him this freedom out of some um, some uh, gambit to try to get him to come back for his senior year. And uh, and really what I tried to explain to them was it, it it has nothing to do with that. Like, you've, you've made you've, – You've recruited around this guy. You recruited this guy for a specific reason, a specific role. You, you've got him now. You've got to just let him. You've got to let him be who he is. There's only so much you can rein him in. If you, if you put the, the reins on him, I hate that. That's that's a terrible. I don't like that analogy. But you know, you, you, if you follow him up in some way, if you try to constrict him, then it, it, it he becomes almost useless to you. That that doesn't work with a player of his mindset and his talents. Um, and, and I think Matt Painter recognized that. I think Matt Painter this season was like, you know, this is this is how it's going to just have to be. Um, it's just, you know, we're going to have to just let him do what he does. And your 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 best-case scenario is what you got in the at the, the time that was the best-case scenario. You know, if you had told anybody at Purdue, Carson Edwards is going to hit 10 threes and score 42 points in the Elite Eight before the season started, do they care what he does in the first 35 yeah. games of the season? Because you're going to the Final Four. Like that's, yeah. it's, No question. You're going to the Final Four, right? And, right. Uh, I, it, you know, it's – like I said, I, it's, it's, I, I don't have a lot of words, really, that could probably accurately describe the performance that he, he summoned last night other than to say, um, you know, he, a guy who had a chip on his shoulder – at times, I felt like he thought the media was, was part of that chip on his shoulder, and I, I stand by the way that we covered him this season and, and over the last three years, but I also, uh, you have to give him credit, which I think we had also done along the way, for what he did last night, and it's it's one of those that's going to just live in, in Purdue basketball history. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to give Matt Painter a lot of credit here because, you know, you, you alluded to a little bit. Um, he, I don't think he tried to change him. And a lot of coaches right. will get a guy like that. And he, knows, uh, he knows he's a bit of a loose a loose guy that's going to go off and do some of his own things and make some, some poor decisions that the coach is not going to like and they're going to want to, you know, reel him in and say, no, you got to do it this way, you got to do it this way. I, I think and not being in their huddles and not being at their practice and not seeing every game in person, it just from an outsider's view, it seems like Painter's like, okay, this is who he is. He needs to be who he is if, if Purdue's going to amount to anything this year. And and I think, you know, I you know, I'm I'm gonna guess that's what happened. And Painter didn't Painter was smart enough not to try to change him. And if you're going to continue to recruit guys at that level and, and sign guys at that level, you know, those guys don't want to be changed. Those guys wanna play the way they play. And you have to adapt to them. And probably even more so in today's college af- athletic environment, yeah. uh, it's it, it's no longer you'll come and do what I say. It's more like, well, what can I do to get this guy? But I got to let him be himself. And and I, you know, I think that's a that, you know, I think Painter, uh, you know, he's not the only coach that that gets it, but he seems to have a a, a full understanding of of how to deal with a lot of today's um, players and their, their needs and their ego. Uh, and, you know, Painter's about as old school as you get. Uh, and it, it probably bothers him a little bit, but he also 
is a guy that has changed and adapt over time to know what the right things to do. And, you know, I got to give him a lot of credit for just letting Carson be Carson. And you take good Carson with bad Carson. And, and that combination should have got you to the final four last night, uh, but it didn't. So now you got to okay. go and, and, and find the next Carson or, uh, or the next one again. And, you know, they've got some guys on their roster who, you know, I'm 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 a big fan of Aaron Wheeler, and I don't you know I'm not going to say he's going to be like Carson Edwards, but he's got the same kind of no fear. I got a shot. I'm going to take it. And you know, the more guys you get like that, I think the better off you're probably going to be uh, from a talent perspective as you as you try to push through and get to the final four. Well, you know who else would have tried to maybe change him was Matt Painter 15 years ago, and I think yeah. this is also part of just the progression he's made over the course of his career and. Um, I, I give him, you have to give him credit also for what's coming next, I think, because you know, obviously Grady Eifert, Ryan Klein are, are heading out after meaning so much to this year's team and, and as, as senior leaders and, and not just that, but guys who went out and got it done on the court in important ways. And, you know, I think it's likely that Carson Edwards has probably played his last game for Purdue. Um, we'll see what he hears through the evaluation process. If it, if he waits to go through that before making a decision. But I, I don't know that there's a lot more that he can prove at the college level to help his draft stock. And uh, as good of a student as he is, I, I would think he's probably in good position there. Um, the same as Caleb Swanigan was, that if he left early, that's that's a, a pretty attainable goal for him to finish off that degree. Um, but you look around the rest of this roster, and after watching this team in March, it, you know, does anyone really have any doubt as to Matt Harms, Nojel Eastern, Aaron Wheeler, Eric Hunter? I mean, those guys having the intestinal fortitude in the in the moment next season when when they have to win tough games. I mean, I think all of those guys, in in some way, and I shouldn't limit it to just those four, but you know, even even Trevin Williams, Sasha Stefanovich, um, you know, th- those guys prove themselves too. And this experience, I think, you know, getting to this point, proving themselves to this point, proving things to themselves to this point, I think all those are going to be critical to what this team can do over the next year or two. I think, as you alluded to in, in what you wrote last night, the, the, the arrow is still pointing up, I think, regardless of who leaves at this point. I think last night could be, and I'm sure that people said this after 1994 and, and 2000 and whatever else, but I, 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 it does seem like with, with what they have coming in, with what they already have here, with kind of what they're establishing as, as, their, as, as the real foundation, there's a chance to, to really build on this in the short term, not, not something distant, but in the next year or two, I would expect Purdue to be back in this position. Again, you have to sometimes be fortunate. You have to sometimes get the break that they didn't get at the end of regulation last night. Sometimes it's, again, that cruel and that small of a margin for error, but there's no reason why they can't still be contending at this Sweet 16 level and, and beyond, and, you know, that, that there's no reason that this team can't get to the level that it was so close to last night. No, I, I completely agree. But if Carson doesn't come back, you know, it does change your team dynamic a little bit. because Certainly. You're taking the best player, one of the best players in the country, off the floor. Uh, I mean, I, any any Purdue fan and Matt Painter would agree. It's like I'd rather have him back. I'd rather have him on my team. 
there, there, there's a point where it's either it's time to go or it's not. And if he, to me, if he does come back, he is hungry to win at that point. Oh yeah. Not, as you said, he, he's not got a lot to prove at the college level anymore. But if he does, if he would come back, and I know that that's probably a remote chance, that means the kid is hungry to win and he wants to push through. And I think that would be a really positive sign uh, for Purdue. But I also agree with you that it's probably highly unlikely he does come back. And the team you do have coming back does have a lot of positives. Now they're going to have they're going to play more minutes. Uh, they're going to have different roles. Uh, you know, it's not going to be the same. But I think you can see the individual talent in some of these guys uh, that lead you to believe that yes, they're going to be back to where they were Saturday night uh, uh, in, a, in a year or two with an opportunity to push through for the final four, you know, at that point, maybe they're a better seed. They got to, you know, you can't be in a better situation from location from what you were Saturday night, but you know, you may be in a different regional with a different matchup and, you know, there may be some more favorable things that you can, uh, that go in your way at that point. But yeah, I do agree. I mean, I think the way Painter's recruiting, uh, the way that he's coaching, you know, he's going to lose one of his, his coaching guys with uh, Greg yep. Garrett going off to Mercer. So you're going to change that dynamic a little bit. But overall, I think the, the, the overall foundation of the program is there and it's staying there and it's it's not going to change too much. But, yeah, you know, definitely, um, you know, Purdue's got to be a team that has to be on the radar of everybody right now as you, as you start looking at next season and where you're going to put them and where you're going to rank them in the Big Ten and – what what kind of potential year they can have. I will disagree in one way. There is a better situation that you can play in in the Sweet 16 in the Elite Eight than what they had last night. Next year, Indianapolis hosts the region. Yeah. Right. Well, so, uh, yeah, you can fit more people in there because it will be at Lucas Oil. <laughs> yeah, that too, yes. So, correct. So, that that's something to look forward to 363 days away from today. But uh, we'll wrap up there. This was uh, the, I guess, we'll, we we may revisit this again uh, just in terms of the season here in a coming episode of Boilers Extra, but this is pretty much the wrap-up for Purdue basketball at Boilers Extra this season. Uh, I'm Nathan Baird. He's Mike Harmon. Thanks for joining us this year, and uh, we'll be back with you talking spring football, talking uh, whatever else is going on, NBA draft decisions. Uh, transfer possibilities. Who knows what's coming up in, in the coming weeks. And uh, come back. We will talk about it some more.